continue, and I want to expound on and go a little further with what I what I preach Sunday morning. Uh, I preach on family culture uh, for those of you that are here. And I just want to go even further and deeper with this. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, give credit where credit is due. Uh, Sister Rosetta led me to these scriptures. So uh, all this is going to come out of after after the sermon Sunday morning, she come to me and was sharing with me some scriptures that just really expound on what we were talking about. And so tonight we're going to hopefully make it to those scriptures. Uh, but I want to start with Hebrews 10:25. Uh, and I have Nisha pulling it up. I'm going to go ahead and give y'all a, uh, a heads up. I'm using the NLT version here, which is something that I almost never use. I just liked the wording, so I pulled it on this scripture. Uh, when we get into Ephesians 4, I'm going to use the message version, so don't throw stones at me. Uh, we're just going to use it to break down some words, so Nathan, put that away. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it's not a version I would normally use, but it just has some really neat wording that I think will help us understand where we're going tonight a little better, okay? Hebrews 10.25, uh, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now the day uh, of his return is drawing near. And I'm just going to start with this, and then we're going to go somewhere else. But I wanted to set a, uh, some foundation work with here. Uh, this scripture all my life, I've heard this scripture over and over and so much. And it's always been so legalistic. It's always been, you go to church or you're not saved. That's pretty much the way the scriptures are. If you're saved, you'll be in church. And it's always been that. And not only that, but I've only heard the scripture quoted of the first line. Nobody ever goes on to the rest of the scripture. It's always, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Forsake, and it's always directly connected to your church attendance, uh, which I'm all about church attendance. I think you should be there as much as possible. But it's always become very legalistic. And tonight I want to give you a different outlook on this scripture. Uh, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together, which is what you normally hear, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. As people sometimes do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. So in reality, Paul's desire here, I'm saying Paul, they say they don't know who wrote it, but it had to have been Paul. It's so good. Uh, really his desire here, his, what he was going for here was not a shot at your church attendance. It was a, a tip. It was an encouragement. It was a, let me give you a tip. If you'll spend time together, then you'll be encouraged. It was never about salvation it was always about encouragement it was never if you go to church that proves that you're saved no it was always if you will go to church you'll be encouraged you'll be uplifted you'll be built up that's where he was going with this uh, it was a helpful tip into the power of community there's strength and encouragement that is intended to come with community and family it was about salvation it was not about salvation. It was about strength and encouragement. That's what this scripture is about. So we have to be very careful that we don't read this scripture or quote this scripture out of context and always just apply that I'm taking shots at your church attendance because that's not what he was taking shots at here. He was actually dealing with encouragement and uplifting. He says, especially now the day of his return is drawing near, especially since it looks like this thing is closer to wrapping up than it was in, in times past. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be lifting each other up. We need to be spending time together. All right? So based on that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and I'm going to read probably several, what, Nisha, probably about 10 or 12 scriptures. 
10 scriptures. And then we're just going to go back and go through these. Uh, Y'all kind of know my style. I like to just go through and we'll break down each scripture. So Ephesians 4, 1, and I'm reading this out of the message. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I love this, dude. I don't want any of you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily. That would be consistent. Pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Be alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction and stay together both outwardly and inwardly. And you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all works through all and is present in all. Everything you are, think, and do is permeated with oneness. That's so good. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is he climbed a high mountain, he captured the enemy, he seized the booty, he handed it all out in gifts to the people. It is true, is it not, that the one who climbed up also climbed down the valley of earth, to the valley of earth, and the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up to the highest of heavens. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts. All right, now I want to go back and we're going to slowly walk through all this. So Nisha, if you can start back at verse one with us, we're just going to go through this. Uh, I think it's going to be verse one. This is just extra right here, really, is what I call this is uh, him, Paul just really getting the Ephesians going, so to speak, before what he deals with. But he says, don't just walk through this thing, but run. Give it everything you have. I want you investing 100% into this thing. Now, remember, he's fixing to go in and talk about community, family, unity, oneness. So if he's telling me here, don't just walk through this thing, but better yet, run. Give it everything. Invest all you have. He's setting us up to have have that mindset as we talk about community. Uh, how does he put that? Don't just sit on your hands or just wander around somewhere that you don't really know where it's going to go. Don't, don't be uncertain. Don't be indecisive. No, be on point. As a matter of fact, it reminded me of when Paul was talking to the, uh, in Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he gives the infamous speech that we always hear about running to win and not with uncertainty. Don't just shadow box. It would be effective in all you do. And here he is telling the Ephesians, don't be wandering down paths that get you nowhere, but be sure, be certain, and be effective. Those are things that the church needs to start understanding because there's a lot of shadow boxing going on in the church where we come here on Sundays, as Brother Freddie was talking about, and we go through all the motions and it's good and, and, and it's great here, but then in our everyday lives, nothing's being affected and nothing's being changed. So we're just going through motions and we're uncertain and we're following paths that we don't even really know where we're going to end up or where they're going to take us. And we're just kind of just whatever, just wherever this goes. When Paul said, no, that's not the intentions at all. I want you to be certain. I want you to be specific, and I want you to be effective. Not only that, I want you to do it with everything you have. Moving on, he said, also be humbled and disciplined. Not in fits and starts, but steadily, consistent, pouring out pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. I love this. This is one of the main reasons I went to the message version was for this area right in here, where he says, uh, where is that at on this? 
at the top. Not if it starts, but steadily, consistently. In other words, don't just do this out of a reaction because we're preaching messages right now that are, are convicting you to, oh, I need to start doing this again. So for a week now, you're going to text somebody every day and tell them that you love them or, or whatever it may be. Or you're going to make a push right now and start something at your home that only in a few months later is just going to fade out and it never really happened anyway. So he's saying, I, I don't want any of that. What I want is just a consistent. You pick where you're going to be at. You pick what it is you're going to do, how you're going to love, how you're going to build community, how you're going to create family, and you be consistent with that thing. Don't just be like this, how the church becomes so often. He said, let's find some consistency and stick to this thing constantly. I'm trying to find myself. Constantly pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love. I love that phrase, that we learn how to consistently, constantly, a part of our life, learn to pour ourselves out for each other. Sunday morning, we dealt with investing into the needs of our church and our family and the body that is around us. And being aware of the needs that, we, that are here. Being aware of the needs that are coming into this church week after week after week. And he says here, you have to be able to pour yourself out completely for that person or that need or whatever it may be. This was the design. We talked, that, we talked Sunday that Jesus came to restore or reconcile the family unit. That was his goal. That's why he said, now you have the spirit of adoption. You can cry, Abba, Father. So he said, what I want you to do is learn to create that family that will pour yourself out for that person anytime you find they have a need or a want or, or whatever the situation may be, that you find yourself in an act of love completely giving yourself. What I think is pretty awesome and what we should notice here is that he didn't say pour yourself completely in ministry and outreach and church attendance and, and all these things that we make the goal. We make it of, if I can make the outreach, if I can be at church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, if I can do all these. And we make it all about these, these achievements. Uh, last Sunday night, our small group, it was brought up the gold star mentality. That that's what we do. We live life every day trying to get God to give us that gold star. Like, I did all my things today. When he said, no, it's not about those things. I want you to pull yourself out in acts of love. So are we, are we learning how to do the ministry and the church attendance and the outreaches, but yet leaving out the key thing that he wanted us to do? Pouring ourselves out for somebody in love. Giving ourselves completely to that moment, to that situation, to whatever it may be that we've completely given ourselves to their need. He said, pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love. The thing is, we have to learn to get our priorities straight. Just like the scripture that we started with, we made the priority in Hebrews 10.25 just being at church, when in reality that wasn't the priority at all. That wasn't the intentions that the writer was going for. The priority of the scripture was about encouragement. It was about the very thing that us being together at church was supposed to produce. See, we just made it of, if I show up on Sunday and I'm in attendance, then I've done my part. But did you encourage anyone? Did you edify anyone? Did you uplift anyone? Did you invest anyone? Or do you just sit back and say, but that's the pastor's job? Me and Jermaine were talking just on the bus earlier, picking up the kids, and, and we were talking about this, connecting, and, and he was talking about how I really believe, he said, I really believe that uh, for someone to really stay and stick in a church, they have to connect with someone. Someone in that church has to make a connection. He was actually saying, that's the reason I'm still here, is that someone connected with me, and we stayed. And I told him, I said, this is why you see a lot of small churches, is because the pastor can only connect with that many people. So since the people are not connecting, it's not growing and becoming as big as 
it could be because we only expect the pastor to do the connecting. When in reality here, Paul is not speaking to the pastor. He's speaking to the people. And he's saying, you got to connect. You've got to invest into each other. You've got to pour into one another. You've got to give yourself completely to them. It's not about showing up at church on Sunday. It's about being here to encourage, to lift up, and to build up. How many of you have ever showed up on a Sunday morning, and in your mind you're thinking, I have to get something today? I just, just sometimes the week has been that way. And you show up saying, I need someone to pour into me today. Well, how many people do you think show up at churches every Sunday wanting that, but there's no one there to invest or to pour themselves into that person? That's what makes people stick. That's what makes people stay. That's why the original first church in Acts started as small groups and not mega gatherings. It was small groups where they connected and they became one. The, church became, the churches become so rigid about attendance and not the needs being met of those who are in attendance. We've become all about how many can we get in here and not about how many can we invest into that are here. How many can I pour into? How many can I, can I give myself wholly to in that moment? The next thing he brings up here, it says, alert and notice, at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. I thought this was so good. This differences is not, uh, for instance, I like the Cavs and you like the Warriors. I'm just bringing that up because the finals are going right now. This difference is like a division, like something that's between us, that type of a difference. He said, we should be quick at noticing these things. We should be, no, he said alert. You should be alert at noting these differences between each other. See, the problem is a lot of things arise in the church and come up between people, but we're not alert to notice what's really taking place in the moment. And before you know it, how many times have we looked back and said, whatever happened between us? We used to be so tight. It's because we've become so, uh, uh, what's the opposite of alert? Non-alert. <laughs> We've become so non-alert that, that we don't even see this taking place. When Satan's coming in saying, I don't have to take your salvation. I'm not here for all that. I just need to separate you. I just need to divide. Because God's goal was to bring us together. So guess what Satan's goal is? To separate us. So he said, I'm just going to come in and cause some difference. And they're not going to notice. And before you know it, they won't even sit by each other at church. They won't even uh, greet each other when they come in the door. They won't even. And you're sitting back saying, what really happened? I don't even remember what happened. It's because we're not alert at noticing what's really taking place. And then it gets even better because, because we're so not alert, he said, also be quick to mend fences. In other words, sometimes it goes further than we really wanted it to go. And maybe things get said or things happen or, or you get to that place where you look back and you say, man, what happened? We used to be close. We used to be, you know what I mean? But now we're not. He said, be quick. Be quick to mend that fence. Be quick to go back and say, forgive me. Be quick to go back. This, uh, I'm sorry. Forgiveness, this forgiveness that I'm talking about, is so vital in the unity and the family of a community and a church body. If you can't get to the place of being able to forgive and being able to receive forgiveness, then we'll never step into the unity, the oneness, that is talked about in this. Forgiveness is imperative. It's a must. 
we no longer have the luxury of holding a grudge. We no longer have the luxury of sitting in churches thinking about someone else in the church that we don't care so much about. No, you be quick to go mend that fence. You be quick to go fix that thing. Because if you can't go mend that fence, God will never show up in your life. He said, if you go to the altar and you have an offense with somebody, don't even pray because you're wasting your time. You go fix the fence. You go mend what was messed up, and then I'll deal with it. Churches are unproductive in their parishes today because they can't forgive each other. And if they can't forgive each other, what's going to make the people out there believe what we preach? There's a unity and a oneness that will only come on the other side of us learning how to forgive. Us learning how to say, you know what? It's okay. I know, we messed up. Let's fix this fence. Let's make this right. Let's do whatever it takes to strive, to endeavor for this unity. Why? Why is it so important to live in forgiveness, to, to accept forgiveness? I want to show you why in verses 4 through 6. I think I have four on here. Yeah, right at the end. You were all called to travel on the same road in the same direction and stay together both outwardly and inwardly. Stay right there, Nisha. I'm sorry. That just goes on to one God. We know all that. This is what I want to focus on. You were called to travel the same road in the same direction to stay together outwardly and inwardly. In other words, we are called to do life together. And how hard is it to spend just a Sunday morning service next to that person that you have a grudge against or you can't forgive? If it's that hard to spend that much time with them, how will you do life with them? How? See, this is where we've missed it in the churches. We think church is about Sunday morning. But just like Brother Freddie brought up earlier, the church is not about Sunday morning. It's about the Monday through the next Sunday. And if we're not doing life together on Monday through Saturday, then when we come here on Sunday, we're just playing a game. We're just saying we're something that we're really not. Because we can come in on Sunday all day and say, oh, we're family and we're one and, and we just think the same and talk the same. And you haven't done nothing together throughout the whole week. You haven't spoken. You haven't encouraged. You haven't uplifted. You haven't edified. You haven't done anything. What kind of family would I have if between Monday and Saturday I never spoke to my wife and kids? It would be a very dysfunctional family. Well, what would you describe the church like right now? Fairly dysfunctional. Because there's no family there's no community. There's no pouring ourselves into one another. The same direction, both outwardly. In other words, in all the things that everybody sees, we should be on the same page. Same goals, same desires for this parish, same desires for this church. And inwardly. Because Jesus said, I judge a man by his heart, not by his actions. What's your own? Yeah. That's so good, that roadblock analogy, that it just, it hinders what God is wanting to do in our life. And not in just in our life, but in this community, in this family that's in this room. When we hold unforgiveness, you're just hindering what he's wanting to do. Uh, and not even, I, I think we need to even take it a step further that not just on the level of unforgiveness. This is something I had to do recently, which was hard. Uh, I went down and, and preached the young adult retreat in West Monroe a little while back. But the day of the retreat,
street that morning, they called and said, hey, all of us leaders are going to get together and pray, and we want you to come and be involved. So I drove up to Monroe that morning, you know, and when I walked in, there was a guy in there I'd never met before, never seen him in the table community, and he just, he was just one of them people, you know what I mean, where you're just like, man, why are you here? You know what I mean? Just, and it was like that, and immediately, I just had a negative thought towards him. Well, then guess what? He's a big part of the whole weekend. I'm with him every day of this, this retreat. All this going on. And all I can think about is that negative thought. Well, then guess what? Just before I'm about to preach, they call him up to go right before me. I'm thinking, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So then he gets up and begins to give his testimony about what God's doing in his life right now. And his testimony was, I have a spirit about me that tends to come off as a real jerk. And God's been working on that in my life so that I don't become that way anymore. Here I am thinking, God, I'm terrible. I just, this guy's trying to work through this in his life. And here I am sitting here saying, wow, what a jerk. I can't believe he's even here. What's Jeremy doing hanging out with this guy? You know what I mean? Like, like that was my mindset. So guess what? After I get done preaching, he comes straight to me and he's just, oh my God, it was so good. You know, and the whole time I'm thinking, you better apologize to this dude right now. And he's just going on and on. Finally, I was like, dude, stop. I told him, I said, look, I got to be honest with you. When I first met you, I had very negative thoughts towards you. And I had to deal with those thoughts all weekend. And he was just, you know, and for him, he was like, dude, I've never had somebody be so honest just right to my face and be honest about how it felt. But as soon as I did it, it was like, oh my God. That felt so much better than having to think about that the whole time. But it was the willingness to want connection and community more than some illegitimate thought. Right, exactly. So, so there is a, a flow that becomes blocked when we allow these things to hang around. So he's telling them, we got to be quick to fix these things. Don't let them hang out. Don't let them fester. Don't give them thoughts. Don't, don't, don't pursue them. Don't do the whole, I'm going to sleep on it and pray about it. No, there's nothing to pray about and there's nothing to sleep on. You go find the person, you correct it right now. This is the way this, this community and this body has to become. And I'm getting to the point of telling you why, okay? Everything we are, think, and do is permeated with oneness. This is what he said. That is just good. Like, yay for the message Bible. <laughs> permeated with oneness. Everything. Every part of my life. Uh, one thing we say a lot in our young adult community is that we do life together. In other words, we always know what's going on. Our kids go to each other's stuff, and they play on the same team, and they go to birthday parties together, and we have dinner together, and we go on our, the couples go on dates together. I mean, it's just, it's weird, actually, now that I think about it. But, but it's that idea of, of being so connected that we do life together that everything we think and do and every part of our life is interwoven together. That's the way he designed the church. That's what it looked like in Acts. Now, I got to show you this because I thought this was just so amazing as I began to look in this. I wish I would have had this stuff for Sunday. I feel like it would have been so much better. This goes all the way back to the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he was arrested in John 17, 21 through 23. Jesus begins to pray in these scriptures. I didn't give them to you, Nisha. I didn't really plan on going there. But in these scriptures, Jesus is about to be arrested. I mean, these are the final hours of his life. And he goes into a prayer and he begins to pray, Father, make them one as we are one. Wow. So Jesus is about to die and he begins to pray, make them one. Unify them. 
create a family, a community out of these people of all the things he could pray at this moment. He said, make them one. As a matter of fact, he even goes on later and that's where he says, glorify me that I may glorify you. And this glory that you have given me, I give to them so that they will become one. There's a glory that God desires to give the church that, 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 that produces a unity and a oneness like the church hasn't operated in, I'm guessing, since Acts. <laughs> and I may be stretching it. But, but Jesus said, my goal here, my desire here of even being glorified in you is so that they can become one, so that they can become a community, a family of oneness. Yeah. He prayed, unify them just as me and you are unified. Make them just as close as me and you are right now. That was the desire of Jesus in one of his final prayers. The message I preached Sunday dealt with the phrase in Acts that's mentioned several times. It says, they had all things in common. And remember, we broke that down, which actually meant a whole union. When it said they had all things in common, it meant they had whole union. So in reality, they were living in and experiencing what Jesus prayed for. Jesus came ultimately to restore the family. So Jesus' prayer in John 17 is manifested in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. We see his prayer become manifested when they live like a family. They live like a community, quick to mend fences, alert and aware of differences that could be between them, going house to house, breaking bread and investing into one another's lives. One of the main things we focused on Sunday was there was not one among them that was needy because they were all willing to invest into each other. That was the prayer that Jesus is praying in John chapter 17 before he goes to the cross. To me, that just, that screams of the importance of what we're dealing with right now. If that's the thing that Jesus chose to pray about. Why was this oneness, this unity, this family so important? I want to jump over to Back to uh, Ephesians. I'm going to start in, I guess, about verse 12, but I want to go to the New King James Version, Nisha. Why is it so important? Let me show you. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. So the term perfect man and the fullness of Christ is tied directly to coming to the unity of faith. Notice this. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men and the cunning and craftiness of deceitful plotting. Stay right there. I want to throw in one scripture right here just really quick. We don't have to go there. Uh, in verses uh, 11... 12, somewhere in there, in the Message Bible, it says, he has given each one his own gift. And God began to remind me, actually, this is so crazy how this happened. Me and my son were watching American Ninja Warrior earlier, right before we came over here. That show is so awesome. And the guy finishes the course and starts taking his shirt off, you know, because he's just, he's a dude. And uh, you know how we are. Anyway, so he takes his shirt off, well, huge, right here on his chest, not a tattoo, in a permanent marker, he had wrote, 1 Peter 4 and 10. And me and Colby, I looked at Colby, I was like, what is that? I was like, I don't know. So I Googled it. Guess what that scripture says? 1 Peter 4 and 10. 
as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Tell me the Holy Spirit did not have me watch an American Ninja Warrior just before I came over here because I did not think about this scripture. So he said, each one has been given a gift by Jesus Christ. He said, and each one of you that got a gift, minister it to one another. He didn't say the pastor must minister his gift on Sunday morning so that everybody would be blessed. No, that's not what he said. Each one of you has received a gift, so minister that gift to someone. So when you come here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or wherever it is you find yourself, don't always walk in saying, what has he got for me today? You need to understand that you've been given a gift and you have a mandate to minister that gift to someone that's going to be here. Someone in this house will need the gift that you have. That's just good. That's just good stuff. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So back to where we were at. Why? Why is this so important? Why is there the ministering of the gifts? Why is there the oneness, the forgiveness, all these things that we've talked about tonight? Why? For the edifying of the body. Till we come to the unity, which will lead to the knowledge of Jesus that we couldn't get on our own, and then there will be a fullness of Jesus Christ. Notice the progression. Come to the unity of faith, then there's a knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Then it comes to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I am convinced that we owe the world an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ. And I'm also convinced we can't give them the fullness of that encounter outside of the unity of a community. Outside of I need you and you need me. I need your gift and you need my gift. We all see partly, dimly, the Bible says. We all see somewhat. So if we all see somewhat, that means I see some and you see some. So if we both see together, we see a little bit more. Does that make sense? So when we're here together working as a unity that is, that is one, whole union is said in Acts. Jesus said that they would become one as we are one. When the body of Christ becomes that one, then we in return get to represent the fullness of Christ to a community that we owe it to. That's just amazing. I need you. You need me. You all need each other. There's things I need to learn from you, and there's things you need to learn from me. It's the way he designed it. God has never in any part of the Bible created a lone wolf mentality. Amen. You can't prove it to me. God himself is three. And I'm not even getting into that whole debate of whether there's one or three. You can go debate that with someone else. But we know there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He never wanted to be one by himself, alone, with no one else. And no one in the Bible did either. Jesus didn't even do it. So if Jesus didn't do it and he was our master, he was the example of how I live my life. And how did Jesus live his life? In a community, in a small group, connected to people. It's the design of the Father. It's the design of the family. We need one another to reach this fullness that Jesus intended for us to walk in. I'm just not going to read all that because I just said it. Verse 14, I want to look at this. Where is verse 14? Can you just give me that one, Nisha? I'm sorry. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So you're telling me that when I'm connected to community, then there's something in that 
that causes me to no longer be a child. So we just went through this whole spill of community, and he's telling me that if everyone's playing their parts, then it challenges you to grow, and it helps you to grow. This is the deal. A lack of unity in a church body will cause prolonged infancy. And people become easily tossed around by the winds and the trickery of the enemy. When there's no unity and oneness and connectedness, it, it draws out the infant stage. It makes it last so much longer. And when you're an infant baby, anyone can come in and mess your mind up. They can come in and say, oh, well, if I put these two scriptures together and say this, and you're like, oh, my God, they have revelation from Jesus Christ. And it could be just totally way off track. I've even had moments to where I started getting something and maybe hear somebody say something and find some scripture and go sit down with my dad and be like, you got to hear this. And then him take five other scriptures and completely tear apart everything I just said. I'm like, oh, okay. It's the importance of community because if you're off out there by yourself, you can hear anything, see anything, and read anything and make it whatever you want it to be. But community, in a way, can keep us in check. It can keep me reminded that eh, I'm getting a little way out here. You know what I mean? That's why you have such different personalities and responses and all that in, in like a worship setting. You know what I mean? Sometimes I need someone that's a little more laid back and less exuberant over the top to tell me, all right, you need to calm down a little bit. And sometimes they need me to be a little more exuberant and over the top to pump them up a little bit. You see the importance of community. That's why we need each other. It's so amazing to me that he is directly connecting maturity to community. They're, 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 they're so connected right here. I love it. And he goes on to say, we are called to speak the truth in love to one another so that we aren't misdirected, caught in something that could harm us, or brought to a place that our faith has become too weak to stand on our own. Too many Christians have become too weak and fallen to the tricks of the enemy because they didn't have a community to hold them up. We can talk big game all we want to, and I was raised around a lot of big game talk of you don't need an accountability partner. You get in there and you just, you buck up and you do it and you don't give up. No, God designed me for a community. And until I became vulnerable enough to admit that sometimes I get weak and want to give up, then I would always have moments where I got weak and I gave up. But when I found out God had placed me in a community of brothers here, that I could go to them at some point and say, guys, I'm not doing good and I'm feeling very weak today. They can encourage and lift up and edify me in that moment when if I was alone and by myself, Satan would have used that against me and said, you're all by yourself. No one's here to help you. No one's coming to your rescue. Well, now when he starts saying that, you know what I do? I get my phone out. Okay, let me see, devil. I'll text Nathan. I'll text Scott. I'll text Colby. I'll text the other Scott. I'll text... See, but, but we, don't, we don't even go to that place because we don't understand community. And we just think, I'm going to get in my prayer closet and I'm going to work through this. No, you're not. I mean, you should have already been in your prayer closet and you probably, never mind. <laughs> anyway, moving on. All right, we're about to wrap this thing up. Verse 15. But speaking in truth, 
but speaking the truth in love. I love this because the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. The problem is some churches become all grace and no truth, and some churches become all truth and no grace. Both are deadly, okay? He said, but you speak the truth. In other words, don't put up with it, but learn to do it in love. It's called corrective criticism, right? The church needs to get mature enough that we can handle constructive criticism. That's the word I was looking for, not corrective. Constructive criticism. But we also need to be mature enough that we give constructive criticism and not just criticism. Because there's a whole lot of critics in the church, but not a lot of construction. Does that make sense? In other words, we're saying a lot, we're just not building up much. Oh, that was just good, y'all. Come on. I didn't even have that wrote down. That was just good. Maturity is found in community, in a community that's willing to tell you the truth, but do it in love. In other words, I'm not going to condone your lifestyle, but I'm going to love you. Does that make sense? I'm so, man, I don't even want to get into this, but I'm so aggravated with a lot of the church's response to the shooting in Orlando. There's been so much hate and so much just stupid stuff said, when in reality it should have been this. It should be. The truth is, we know what this Bible says, the truth about that lifestyle. And I don't condone it, and I don't join in with it. But I have to know how to handle it in love. And most of it has not been handled that way, but that's something totally different. But this is so important in a body. I have to be willing, and you have to be willing, to allow me to tell you the truth, even when it's something we don't really like or want to hear. But you have to be willing to receive it, and I have to be willing to give it from a place of love. That I'm giving you this because I I want the best for you. Not because I want to get above you, or I want to knock your feet out from under you. No, it can't be about that. A community that is unified, that is made one, knows how to tell the truth from a place of love. From whom the whole body joined knit together by what every joint supplies. This is where Sister Rosetta took me the other day, and my mind just was running so many places. Thank you. Uh, this part is so good. It says, effective working by which every part does its share, which may not have been this version. But what he's saying here, yeah, right there, to the effective part of working which every part does its share. So the effectiveness of what we're working is directly connected to everyone doing their share. So how effective is your church? Well, that can be governed, that can be measured, that can be seen. Your church will be as effective as everyone that's doing their part. So when you come into a church where only the pastor's doing his part, then it's only being so much effective. Like I said earlier, that's why you see a lot of little churches, because the pastor's doing everything he can. And, and, and for a pastor to do it all by himself, he can only deal with so many people, because people are messy and people are crazy, okay? But this says what every joint supplies, so that means every person supplies something to this body that's needed, and the effectiveness of this church is determined by them supplying or giving or investing their part. For this church body to be as effective as God desires it to be, every part must do its share. And what happens when every part does its share? 
causes growth of the body and the edifying of itself in love. Growth. And I don't want to be one-dimensional here. I'm not talking about growth in numbers. This is one of the things that, that, that we talked about the other day, that we get so fixed on, well, if we do this, this, and this, then we're going to grow in numbers. But what good would it do for us to fill this place up if we're not living in all this that we're teaching right now? What, what, what good would we be doing? So he said, this thing begins to cause growth. What kind of growth? We just dealt with maturity. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, those things begin to happen for people in this church when everyone is investing and doing their part. Amen. There's going to be somebody, you think of our church that usually runs somewhere, I don't know, 180 to 200 people on a Sunday morning. There's no possible way that me or Pastor Love is going to be able to personally invest into every person that shows up here on a Sunday morning. But what if one of the people that came that morning needing someone to pour themselves out and invest into them comes in and doesn't get to connect with me or pastor? But if every part of the body was ministering their gift and doing their part and investing what they have, then we wouldn't have to sit back on Sunday and worry, did every person get what they came for? Did every need get met? We would be able to know that need could have got met when they were walking in the front door or somebody they ran into coming out of the bathroom or during the greeting, during the offering song, because we know that everybody's ministering their gifts and everybody's investing themselves into someone else because everyone's doing their part. Everyone's doing what they're able to do. We all have something to offer and we all need what each other is offering. We have to come to the realization that I need you and you need me because this thing can never reach its full potential if we don't live by this. So the goal, the culture, the desires that we're after is a place of community, of family, of oneness that Jesus prayed for.